Welcome, welcome, welcome to Marvel Talk, where I am smack dab in the middle of having an existential meltdown. I'm Trevor. I'm Max. We are five films into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I don't know what a good movie is anymore. So let's dive in. Max, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, before we get into this, I just want to talk about whatever you have going on. Um, so you've you've lost the ability to, to differentiate between good and bad movies because of of totally inundating yourself with Marvel films, which are bad movies. I, that's a your, great question. In your pre mind, I have no what, idea what's going on. You have what's no idea what's going on. Real anymore. Is that I feel the complex human experiential breadth of emotions all at once watching these watching these films. Uh, well, either all at once or or just can't figure out which of the emotions that I'm feeling at any, at any given moment. Like, oh, I just, do I love this? Do I hate this? Am I having fun? Am I having a horrible time? I have a hard time discerning, um, parsing out which of these things that I'm feeling. And that is deeply concerning to me as a film viewer, as a consumer of, of media. Yes, go on. Is this Captain America specific, or is this the the whole Marvel oeuvre so far? Because I I received a text message from you at like eleven o'clock on Friday night <laughs> that just said Captain America facepalm. Face unfortunately, unfortunately, I had gone to bed at maybe a hard eight forty five that night because <laughs> uh, if anyone listened listened to the last episode, if I work a full week and then try to record a podcast at night, it doesn't go well. Yeah, like eleven p.m. on Friday night, we were both uh, we were both crashing pretty hard on mm-hmm. the microphones. Um, so this week we didn't even try to do it. No, nope. it is. What, a, it's a, it's tell a me about tell me about your, your Sunday morning. Tell me about your emotional roller coaster of a ride. Well, I th- on Captain America because I this I thought this movie was silly. Let's say <laughs> it's it's pretty silly, but it's it is okay. Also, I found it to be the kind of silly that is eminently enjoyable while totally being removed from the concept of a like capital G good film right it's a fun movie right this is not in the same the same lineage as like the godfather yeah obviously <laughs> or like even a good war movie like but it's i think it was the right amount of goofy maybe my problem is that i watched there will be blood directly directly before uh i watched this movie well the night before anyways okay this is what we're here for. There will right? be blood. Is no, there will be blood is also a deeply silly movie. I love that movie. You don't I, love that I movie? do. I do too. But I, I, uh, I mean, I saw the movie in theaters. Mm-hmm. I haven't rewatched it since. But I did like the movie. Um, I also think Paul Dano should be in way more things than he is. Like he's the Paul insane. Dano, like mid mid century, not mid century, mid two thousands, like blip. Yeah. Where he had that, he had Little Miss Sunshine, like I mean even Looper, like Oh, I didn't see Looper. Great. I didn't realize Looper is a weird Lo- Looper's a weird Ryan Johnson like pre-Star Wars film. It's I think it's his second film. Yeah. It's like a time travel 
am- ambitious like time travel sci-fi movie where Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis play the same role yeah. like 50 years apart and they gave Joseph Gordon-Levitt like facial prosthetics to look like Bruce Willis. It's pretty good. Paul Dano's great in it. Um anyway, the no, but the end of There Will Be Blood is th- one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> That's like, true. The, that's true. Like that, the and the fact that it ends with him just yelling, "I'm finished." It's. it's I felt it's like an insane best. person yeah. that no one else thought that that scene was as funny as I. Like, I was just like that. That's the funniest thing. That's the funniest Daniel Day Lewis will ever be on film. <laughs> and I felt like no one else was interested in talking about that. <laughs> oh, that's great! I I have exactly the same experience. I think that the movie is. Yeah, it's just got some like deep, dark trenches of of black humor that I think Absolutely. are excellent. But again, that movie is not this movie. This movie is Captain America. And let me tell you, uh, th- I will not blame Captain America for my existential crisis, for my existential downfall as a movie watcher. I think it's something that's been building for the last five movies. And I think it's I've finally... I have finally accepted it and and embraced it and invited it into my consciousness for this movie uh, because I was just done fighting it. So it's gonna get worse though. It's gonna. I, I can't wait. It's gonna get worse before because this is this is the last of the pre-quip Marvel universe. Pre-quip, like, oh, as in like the pre- Joss like, Whedon. Yeah, once Joss, once mission. they like, yeah, once Joss does his does his pass on, or I guess he didn't do a pass on Avengers. He directs Avengers, mm-hmm. sort of really entrenches the quippiness. Which, you know, there's some light quippiness in in these movies. Yeah, but there's also there's also a scene that in this movie that really um, felt like it, sh- it. It if this movie was made three three movies later, the Marvel Universe would have been a quip, and just mm. I don't I I wish I'd written down what the line that Steve was responding to, but he's just like no. Yeah. And it like would have been some sort of weird sarcastic moment in an in in a later Marvel movie. Right. So this is this is it's it's only gonna get worse for you. Well, I'm glad that I'm laying it on the table right now so that um I can move forward transparently and you can help me work through my issues. You are now my Marvel Talk co host slash therapist. So welcome. Welcome into the now, fold. He, he, as as your therapist, my first thought experiment is, uh, how do you think Paul Thomas Anderson would have done a uh, Marvel movie? Uh, deeper trenches, um, more groveling, definitely more Daniel Day Lewis. Mm, I should just throw it out there now that I think Daniel Day Lewis is one of the most overrated actors of our generation. Okay, I, I, think, jo- I think I think John C. Riley just. <laughs> Like look, look, just because he was, he's, he's like one of the other big ones in like um, gangs in New York. John C. Riley could do a Daniel Day Lewis role, almost anyone. Mm-hmm. Daniel Day Lewis could not do any of John C. Riley's comedy roles. John C. Riley is a more versatile, more compelling actor than Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> This is this is my favorite hot take. Wait, d- uh, uh, you're, the internet froze a little bit. Did you just pick John C. Riley out of thin air? No, this is actually. Um, he is an incredibly compelling actor. I will give John, you. John, this. this is an argument I've had before mm-hmm. about my issues with Daniel Day Lewis, and I eventually like landed on the most like the most compelling antithesis to me of Daniel Day Lewis is John C. Riley. Okay. Um. 
because John C. Riley can do can like often pops up in sim in, in John C. I think John C. Riley has been in a couple Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Right. John C., John C. Riley has did a lot of these like sort of late nineties super like prestige films, and then John C. Riley did a hard pivot into really good comedy. Like the, he's got such a cool career, I love yeah. it. His his and whole arc so, is great. So, so this is this is an this is an argument I've I've been working on for a while, just due to it started with me being like ah, Daniel Day Lewis is fine, but like you didn't need to build your own house for uh, the Crucible. Yeah, um, I I agree with the. I mean, the whole driving mythos behind him, I agree, is overrated, but. But I will say that his, he is a level or two above fine in my his, book. His perf- no, his performances are fantastic. Yeah, okay. But his his like self myth making is what bothers me. Yeah, and that's, I guess that. And that's the point. And sort of that's that's the point where I can be like, I where I I come in with someone like John C. Riley could do a lot of Daniel Day Lewis's roles. Sure, but wouldn't wouldn't you know would would not live as Abraham Lincoln or would not. <laughs> would not build his own uh shack like his own puritan shack yeah or i don't know did dana day lewis like become a, a angry an angry misanthropic tailor to play the phantom thread or i can only imagine what he did to play that role uh anyway welcome to daniel day lewis talk where uh-huh. we're going to talk about captain america exactly it's uh okay okay let's get into it I also want to make it clear, let's just put general thoughts on the table since we've already done that pretty much. I like I think I like this movie. There's plenty that I appreciated about it, arguably as much as any of the movies leading up to this and and in the MCU. Yeah, I just found I find myself conflicted and we will expound upon that as we go. So your general right. thoughts on this movie? I liked it a lot. I yeah. think I think it had the mo- because it wasn't set I think because of its, you know, period piece, mm-hmm. I don't even know, I maybe put that in quotes, you know, f- uh, alternate history period piece yeah. um, compared to the other movies, I found it to be a nice, uh, it was a good change of pace mm-hmm. to the sort of what was becoming a sort of sameness of Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man 2, and all the Earth parts of Thor, just the like, just the way like the sort of the, the not like everything was a little techno, like flashing screens mm-hmm. and the like slightly more modern than present day technology that everyone had, but it, it just sort of was starting to blend together into just sort of a wash of general like vague futurism. Um, this going back to the forties, but then also doing a lot of having a lot of like cool like really huge like uh, mechanical machines to do all this uh, fantastic stuff. It looked it looked a lot more interesting to me than mm-hmm. um, the sort of samey sameness that I was that I was getting from uh, the last couple movies, minus Asgard, of course. Yeah, I I agree with that, I th- and I think that again, I think that the design of this movie is one of its absolute strong suits, which I think it remains true. Like I think we we covered the same same territory in Thor. I uh, I, I think that the designs in these movies are so. They're just thorough and and deliberate and diligent and well executed. I also think this movie is a compelling argument against watching the movies in universe chronological order. Can because you I think 
I think that this the I think the first 15 minutes of this movie so heavily hinge on Thor being fresh in your mind or at least benefit from Thor being fresh in your mind so you can make you can just sort of quickly make the all the Nordic mythological connections that they just sort of glaze over without going too much into um which would bog the film down with exposition uh-huh. but just watching Thor last week I can be like Great. That's Yggdrasil. That's you know. That's right. the 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 Tesseract comes from the the ca- the um the frost giant casket. Right. And if you watched Captain America first, and then waited four movies to watch, maybe five movies to watch Thor, because um, if you were watching, you know, in in universe chronological order, I think the the payoff wouldn't be as good because you'd be like that's a thing i remember from like five movies ago right i agree and, and it's not just it's not to say that it would ruin the movie if you didn't watch thor immediately before this movie but i think i think it helps totally and I think these movies are better watched in in release order than chronological order i agree yeah i think that was an easy bridge for us to pass when we were starting to plan this Definitely. this podcast like how do we watch it i i just think it gives you so much more to follow to do to watch it in release order because then you also get you get to track the um the growing of you know the marvel resources and and you get to see them how sort of their confidence builds as they build a following and yada 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 okay let's get it let's get yeah. into it uh, let's get into it Captain America, 2011, July 22nd release date, fifth film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the fifth of six in phase one, right? Avengers is next. Yeah, and released only less than two months after Thor, so. Wow, these release dates are so wild. I think think this is their first first two-year punch. Yeah. And I mean, now I think it's pretty standard. They try to, if COVID hadn't knocked off the, the release schedule, they were. I think they were pretty consistently doing two a year. Mm-hmm. So far, the two Iron Man films have made significantly more than any of the other MCU films. So I wonder if that's uh, creating any dilemmas of identity moving forward for for Marvel at this point. I think that's gonna come up. I think that's gonna come up. Pretty heavily, if I remember correctly, the um, the production backstory, for lack of a better term, the third Captain America Civil War, mm-hmm. which has a lot of Robert Downey Jr. It has, a, I think it was, I'll, I'll look into it when we, when we come to that movie, but I believe, um, I believe Robert Downey Jr. might have done a rewrite or requ- himself or requested a rewrite to really boost uh, the Iron Man Oh. Uh, part of it, it essentially makes civil war a as much an iron man movie as a captain america movie when it's a top uh, when you know it's a captain america top villain movie but uh, right I but mean, it's ba- it's basically uh an avengers movie yeah yeah because the, the poster is literally the two of them like same size photograph like facing off yeah okay let's get into captain america uh this movie starts somewhere in the arctic i believe hmm. dead of night uh, apparently, some Russian oilers have discovered an aircraft frozen in the ice, and they, the quote, guys from Washington are called in and discover Captain America inside. They they see his shield. Um, there's a cool reveal of the star on the shield, 
and we are in it. Flashback to Tonsberg, Norway, which is where the battle between the gods and the frost giants occurred in Thor. Mm-hmm. Again, another Easter egg that you that I certainly would not pick up on um, if I had if there had been any any considerable amount of time between my seeing Thor and my seeing Captain America. German occupied Norway in 1942. Uh, a, a Nazi deep science affiliate called Hydra, led by Johann Schmidt, played by Hugo Weaving. They invade this city of Tonsberg and find the cube that we saw in the end of the last film. This film, or I mean, this cube is called the Tesseract. And they find it, like Max said, behind a, an engraving of Yggdrasil, the world tree, uh, in this old man's basement. Old, old Walder Frey. Uh, that's his name in Harry Potter, right? No, that's his name in Game of Thrones. Yeah, he's... Um... Filch? Yes. I want to say he's Argus Filch. Yeah. We were watching this and Alana and Alana uh, was like, is that the guy? I'm like, the guy from Game of Thrones? She's like, no, the guy from Harry Potter. And I was like, yeah. yes, so, and yes. And we had we had just watched Lord of the Rings. So I was like, yeah, and that's the guy from uh, Rivendell. Elrond. Oh, Hugo yeah. Weaving. Hell yeah. yeah. I mean, Hugo Weaving, Matrix, Lord of the Rings, Marvel. He's just got the most insane. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Hell, hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's see. Schmidt has the Tesseract. Very bad news. S- hop over to New York. We meet all-American shrimpy dude Steve Rogers, played by Chris Evans. And it's so... I just needed another pass. Like, his... his the, 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 C- the body the work. CGI, yeah. The CGI they did for his body work is so upsetting to look at. It's... He's supposed to be like a little guy who's like plagued by health problems. Right. He looks like a Victorian a Victorian era like street urchin like <laughs> who's been plagued by rickets. He's like he's <laughs> he looks like a 7-year-old. But yeah. And the body looks fine. Like there's a lot of shirtless there's a lot of shirtless shots of him as this like to really like hammer home like his his really undersized physique. Yeah, which but, is a bold move on their part. It's a confident move by the VFX department yeah. to be like, "Yeah, we're just gonna we're we're gonna double down on this idea and uh, show him without a shirt most of the time, <laughs> or like over <laughs> half the time." But the head, uh, his head looks fucked up. It like, looks so it, strange. It's the scale. It, the head is they they just like could didn't get the the scale of his head quite right. It's just like it feels like it's just a little too big, and also maybe they like took took like a, a photoshop like shave tool a little too hard right. to the right like there's an asymmetry to his face mm-hmm. when he's he's small yeah uh that is to me was incredibly distracting it just it looked like they just sort of carved off like the the outer the the outer right like half inch of his cheek uh, yeah in like a weird crest it's it's the whole face is sort of a weird crescent mm-hmm shape like to justifies to the left it's very odd to me it mostly works except when you see steve head on and like mm-hmm. especially in close-up there's something weird in the again there's like a there's a there in the connection like between little, his face yeah. and his neck it's a little it's a little muddy right there yep mm-hmm. i don't yeah it is it's a strange uncanny valley thing i i, I mean it's impressive for for what it is <laughs> you know it's a huge undertaking in a live action film to put 
a giant man's head on a small person's body. So, you know, I guess I give him props for it. And also reading about the process. I mean, they had to mm-hmm. film every scene that small Steve Rogers is in. They had to film four different times. They had to film like once with Chris Evans where like he had a, a mark taped on his chin where the other actors had to look because that was going to be his mm-hmm. ultimate eyeline. And then he had to look above their heads. And then they filmed the same scene once with the small person stand-in. And then they filmed the same scene again with with no actor playing. St- and so it's like what a nightmare for every other actor involved, right? Having to hit their marks in all of what these was different the be- scenarios. What was the benefit of the, um, the shooting with no one? I think that's a good question. I mean, maybe so you can sort of get the negative space behind oh. behind Rogers when when you ultimately take because I couldn't really figure out what the primary process was between just putting his head on a smaller body versus sometimes they actually like digitally shave him down. It's a process that's beyond my comprehension and so therefore again you know props to them for achieving it although there there are some pretty big misses um and for me it's kind of like it's it's a little it's half and half like half the time it does really work pretty well for me but in any case small steve rogers he's he's uh shrimpy and sickly and plagued with a number of pre-existing conditions that refuse him admission into the military service uh, even though he is a deeply patriotic man and deeply desires uh, serving his country he's on un- he's uncomfortably patriotic he's uncomfortably patriotic it is it's a fine line that they have to toe in this film between I mean because like Captain America is pretty I don't know necessarily Jack Kirby and uh, what's his name Joe Simon the creator. Yeah. I don't I don't know how propagandized they intended for the character to be when they created oh, it. Oh, deeply. They were deeply um I mean they I mean his first I appearance think, on the cover was him decking Hitler in the jaw. So Yeah, and like both of them really Jack Kirby especially um really really believed this stuff. And I think it's I think my discomfort with his like all gung-ho patriotism is absolutely a modern lens affecting it and um my you know my own issues with the american military industrial complex which i'm not going to get into here but Mm -hmm. jack no jack kirby absolutely lived this shit like he he both of them served in world war ii i think jack kirby was an infantryman um you know they had comics careers in the 30s and they both paused their comics careers to enlist i know a lot less about joe simon um but jack kirby like came you know he came home he went back to it and he like super he really believed in you know this he was he jack kirby was he was a jewish man grew up he grew up in new york he's also like five four like Mm -hmm. he jack kirby was steve rogers essentially he modeled steve rogers on himself um and he did that with a lot of his characters Mm -hmm. but like steve rogers was very heavily modeled on Jack Kirby's own experience as being a little dude grew up in, uh, in, in, he was, Jack Kirby was the Lower East Side, mm-hmm. Steve Rogers, Brooklyn, Brooklyn but yeah. like otherwise, there are a lot of parallels. And like Jack, Jack Kirby like lived this shit. There was a point pre America getting into World War One or World War, excuse me, World War Two, but World War Two was going. 
and they were Jack Kirby was already pumping, you know, pumping out these. I don't know if it was Captain America yet, but it was uh, some other comic hero who was pumping out a lot of like, you know, comics, you know, superheroes fighting the Nazis, and like yeah. Nazis came to the not Marvel comic, I think Timely Comics office, and like were in the lobby and were like, get Jack Kirby. Like we we have words for Jack Kirby. Yikes! Jack Kirby fucking like. Took off like he like took off his shirt and like went down to the lobby and was like <laughs> ready to throw hands and they apparent and apparently they they left by the time he got down there. Oh my god! Whether or not this is a hundred percent true, this is just sort of a story that has yeah. become very ingrained in Jack Kirby's legend. Yeah, but like the man was ready was ready to throw fists in Midtown against Nazis. Well, like, sh- I mean, I imagine when you spend all day drawing Captain America, uh, you probably. Yeah, probably do a fair amount of um, pepping yourself up. You know, if some, somebody comes into the lobby looking for a fight, you're probably ready to fucking go. Yeah. Like, let's, do, let's do it for America. Exactly. Okay, let's see. Um, Steve, he's been rejected several times due to his long list of ailments. ailments. He's oh, right, asthmatic. Right. He's got tuberculosis. He's got yeah. rickets, probably. Scurvy, I don't know. So... <laughs> Uh, Steve Rogers picks a fight with a heckler in a movie theater who is uh, heckling, again, patriotic ads before a, a, a cartoon. So we get to see S- Steve's resilient spirit. He's getting the shit beat out of him in an alley. He says, I can do this all day. He picks up a, a, a trash can lid and does sort of an iconic shield pose, which is another funny Easter egg. And um, then we meet. He, he, he is sort of saved from this bully by his best pal, uh, James Barnes, Bucky Barnes. And Bucky is in the service. He's just gotten his orders. It's his last night in town. And so he takes Steve out on a double date. They go to the World of Tomorrow exhibition in Flushing, which is, I. this is basically the Stark Expo of, of the 40s, right? Like Howard Stark. I think so. I think it's... I think it's supposed to be pr- like I don't think it's Stark run okay. was from the sense of I think okay. I think I think Howard Stark was like just because of the anti grav car yeah. I think I think he was not as I think he was mostly doing his military contracts and wasn't um, I think it was basically a World's Fair right and, and he then, just had and yeah. Stark just had a presentation I think later it becomes right. the Stark Expo so we go to this World's Fair, essentially, the world of Tomorrow City in, in Flushing Meadow, Corona Park. And uh, we see a Howard Stark presentation where he presents a an air-propelled car that doesn't need wheels. It breaks down. I guess this is a means of showing us his ideas are, in fact, beyond the technological mm-hmm. capabilities of his time. Howard Stark, played by Dominic Cooper. Uh, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on, on his performance? Um, I actually really liked him. Yeah, um, I really yeah, like I thought... him. The problem for me is that I think, like as a as a character, I'm like th- he's he's great. This is an excellent performance as Howard Stark. With there's already sort of the the precedent of Tony Stark, uh, Robert Downey Jr., and John Slattery in Iron Man Two. I think that he's not necessarily he like does not. He's a little like more gooberish than than I think either Robert Downey or John Slattery. I mean, definitely, but I think it sort of worked for me because I, I think the earliest we see John Slattery in Iron Man 2 is 
I want to say the mid sixties. Like it's yeah, it's, this is twenty. You know, this is twenty years before it. I don't think, I don't think he has his own company yet. I think he's supposed to be. You know, in his if he's thirty, he's he's just thirty. I think he's yeah. He's supposed to be like essentially. You know, a, you know, at the really, you know, really young, really um, hot-headed, a lot, you know, a lot like Robert Downey Jr. plays Tony Stark, but without the generational wealth right. that has sort of made t- Tony Stark a shithead. Right, and um, we probably also don't meet Tony Stark until I mean, he's probably in his late thirties or forties when yeah. when we meet him in Iron Man. So yeah, that's a good point. Rogers and Bucky see the Stark presentation at the World of Tomorrow. Rogers ditches the double date to go and try and enlist again. Uh, Bucky catches up to him, and they get in a little a little banter fight about what this means to Steve, and I can't remember exactly his argument to Bucky, but essentially he, he has an argument that is overheard by none other than Stanley Tucci, world's greatest character actor. 100%. Stanley Tucci playing uh, Dr. Abraham Erskine. He, he he pulls Steve's file aside and basically makes an exception to allow him to enlist. Let's see. Any, I mean, there's a lot of detail work in that scene that I'm breezing by. Any Anything of importance that you think I'm missing? Is it, is it explicit that uh, Erskine is Jewish? Or is it? No. Mm-mm. No, I, I think I just assume I assume Erskine is Jewish. Right. I assume he's sort of you know. I mean, his name's Alabama. Abraham, right? Um, <laughs> and you know, I think that is a big part of the character. Yeah, I, I mean, it's Stanley Tucci. Like, what's not to like? Like, it's great. There's I nothing think. not to like. Yeah, he's so <laughs> like, great. There's nothing Stanley Tucci has ever done that's not <laughs> immediately compelling to to look at. Exactly. But oh, so my point, my point, just being, uh, I think he, you know, the the uh, implicitness of him. Being um, a Jewish man who's uh, he he sort of understands that Steve you know Steve wants to fight no matter what for something bigger than himself I think is what I took to be be implied yeah um, and I thought I think there are also two very pivotal moments in Erskine's determining that Steve Rogers is the one. And I think the first of which is in this scene and it's his like, Oh, so you want to go kill Nazis? And, and Steve Rogers response to that is I don't want to kill anyone. I just don't like bullies, which I think is a good, it's a good character establishing moment. And, um, so yeah, Erskine gives him an opportunity. He enlists him in, in the army. And then we hop over to Germany where, or I guess, Maybe is the I don't know if it's in Germany or in Italy the main Hydra headquarters or at least where this one takes I think it's place. In Switzerland. Okay. Well, the, the, of the, ones the it's in the Alps. The final. They said they did say it was in the Alps. I think I made the assumption it truly could have been in Italy. There are Italian Alps. I know. I know European geography. <laughs> it's good because I don't somewhere somewhere in the Alps. <laughs> Iconic, iconically, the Alps to Switzerland for me, but they do say they're going to ship Zola to Switzerland later in the movie. So let's say it's in the Italian Alps. Cool. This is the expertise you're signed up for. <laughs> I um, looked at a map once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So in any case, we zoom in on on Schmidt and his assistant, Doctor Zola. They manage to harness the power of the tesseract that they just found in Norway, uh, which. Dr. Zola says he can use to power all of the advanced weapon tech that uh, he has created. So that sort of explains this. We've 
we've got this very weird like harsh hard sci-fi edge to all of the enemy weaponry in in this movie and it is because dr zola has is a man ahead of his time and the tesseract has allowed him to bring to life the 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 weaponry in his imagination so what else the the guy who plays zola mm-hmm. what i don't else? know him he looks i i'm pretty sure he played the other capote that um wasn't philip mm. Seymour hoffman oh but then he just he just like looks like oh, a guy that's sure. been in a million things that like yeah are you looking him up i am okay well sh- shout it out if you find some anything noteworthy definitely capote he was the voice of dobby oh <laughs> neat yeah that is neat yeah uh, uh, that... he's, done, he's he's done a lot of character work he's yeah. good I like yeah, him a lot. He's, he's super good uh the interrogation room scene is really great it's like the only mo- I, we'll get to tommy lee jones it will get to tommy lee jones right now back to the army training grounds uh intro agent carter played by Haley atwell who is amazing she's so great and uh colonel chester phillips played by tommy lee jones who also obviously so is amazing at times i wonder <laughs> if he gives a single shit about being in this film most of the time he was in first cow toby was in for he, he toby oh toby, he was the, the magistrate in first cow that you're was the thing i was right. trying to figure out yeah 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 he, you're like he's just, fresh in my memories yeah somehow. we both just watched that yep yeah good find no tommy lee jones doesn't give a single fuck about this movie um not a single one honestly i think that helps the character if anything like <laughs> this I mean, this character this character is he's a career officer mm-hmm. he probably was in the trenches in world war one given yeah. his age he yeah. has he's seen it all. He doesn't give a shit. He thinks Erskine's a nerd. Mm-hmm. He he believes in the power of throwing infantrymen at a problem and yeah. uh, acceptable losses. And um, he would rather that the nerds don't bother him. Like, exactly. Yeah. What matters to him is brawn and attitude and arrogance. Essentially, uh, this is a good quote from Tommy Lee Jones describing his character. Quote, the one you've seen in a thousand movies, the gruff, skeptical officer overseeing a team of talented, slightly sarcastic, specially talented soldiers. Has Tommy Lee Jones ever given a single shit about anything? I don't know. I cannot wait to go back and watch rewatch Men in Black because I just I just I just I just can't. That's all I have to say about that. I is this the second or third time we've come back to men in black we, on this exactly one? we keep if we keep coming back to men in black we're just gonna have to do a miniseries on it yeah and that's, that's it's decided did you, did you ever watch any of um agent carter i didn't i actually watched the i watched the one shot um short film that the mm-hmm. russo brothers did just now before we started recording okay. and and i think that was sort of like the genesis of the series got it but i never watched the series I, didn't, I feel like I didn't even know it was on until it was canceled somehow. Like, mm-hmm. I, I knew about Agent of, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I barely heard anything about Agent Carter until... Or if I heard, if I heard about it, I, ne- I never made a connection that it was a Marvel property until yeah. much later. But it's got Dominic Cooper in it, too. Like, Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's supposed um, to be good. I, I, I think that the, the chemistry between those two actors is great. Mm-hmm. I think that they I would watch them on screen together. That would be really cool. Uh yeah the short have you seen the the Agent Carter one one shot I don't think I have it's fine right intro Agent Carter and uh Colonel Phillips 
and they introduced this the idea of the super soldier training program which is where we're at that's these training grounds steve rogers of course expectedly proves physically completely incompetent but intellectually and morally superior to all of the other trainees and is chosen of course for the super soldier program after his second of two very important tests for uh dr erskine where uh actually i guess tommy lee jones uh phillips is the one who who does it he pulls a fake grenade and tosses it out into the group and steve rogers jumps on it to um you know everyone else of course jumps out of the way steve rogers sacrifices himself to save the people i thought yeah i thought that moment was a little heavy-handed but really worked like i mean yeah it's it's about as it's about as subtle as a hand grenade but uh (laughs) you know yeah exactly it, I think it, you know, it, it, if if at all you you doubted Steve Rogers' inherent decentness, mm-hmm. there there it is. There it is. After Steve is chosen officially for the Super Soldier Serum, we get a little bit of Erskine backstory um, where he he talks a little bit about Schmidt and explains that Schmidt is very much a spiritual man but also a man of science a very odd sort of odd amalgamation of those two principles he is a believer in the inherent power of gods and that there is some inherent power on earth that is waiting to be found by a very important man obviously he feels that he is that man he heard about erskine's super soldier serum and forced erskine to give him the serum before it was ready and um so it created some nasty side effects and as we will find out soon, um, turned Schmidt into Red Skull, which I believe is he was like the original Captain America villain, oh, yeah. right? He's he's he goes way back. Mm-hmm. Seems like they really based more they based way more of this Captain America arc on the very original Captain America arcs than anything in between, which I think is really cool. Definitely, yeah. I mean they they did age up Bucky. Bucky's oh, right, because he's like a little, like a literal child. Yeah. <laughs> what and what? What purpose does he serve? Is he like? Uh... He's Robin. He's just okay. He's, everyone had a kid sidekick in the forties. He was yeah. He was just that. He was the exact same role that Robin plays for Batman. Sure, but they a had, small child. They all had dumb names. Yeah. Well, is he? Call, is he just called Bucky? Yeah, he's Bucky. <laughs> that's his. That's his superhero name. He, I mean, he, you know, he dresses in like a, a blue tunic with like a little red skirt, and I think he's got tights and uh, like the, the little pixie boots. Sounds really cute. I want to look up a, a picture. It's adorable. Yeah. Uh, back in Germany, we get actually a really cool Red Skull teaser, um, which I, I like. I liked how all this lined up timing-wise. We get the sort of the Red Skull backstory, and then we get this Red Skull teaser where he is he's getting his portraiture done. And but he's backlit, so you can't really see him. But there's enough sort of deliberate shadowing going on that you recognize that something is being hidden from you, the viewer. Then you then it shifts perspective, and you are looking at the portrait artist and and Zola from the other angle, and you see that the portrait artist's whole paint palette is just red paint, which I thought was really neat too. Schmidt has found Erskine in America and orders his assassination back in new york in dumbo looked like to be specific the super serum is administered to steve uh let's see he's brought to a super secret location and 
administer the serum and gets all bulked up. And we don't have to deal with small shrimpy Steve Rogers anymore. Love the Vita rays. I felt the I felt like the uh, I feel like the Vita rays was a really nice touch of uh, sort of generic nineteen forties um, comic book origin because you know when they were when can they you were... elaborate on that? Oh, um, I'm I'm not recalling. So uh, Erskine's he's like he, Erskine's describing the 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 process of the super soldier serum. You know, they inject, they do the injection first, and then they put him in like the the tanning booth, essentially, yeah. to blast him, blast you with Vita rays. Oh which, yeah, uh, okay. you know, and it's I thought that was a very um, period accurate is the wrong term, but it's it's very uh, true to sort of the the generic comic book origins that yeah because no one comic you know because com- comics in the 40s were cheap they were disposable no one really gave a shit about right. the um science in a way that people care about you know how mm. things actually work now mm. in and like you know trying to make things make sense um yeah. in uh in comics and in sci-fi now i'm giving you a picture of original bucky by the way great um, thank you you know that people, you know people were discovering you know, the the benefits of vitamins and minerals and a nutrition nutritious balance. So you blast someone with Vita rays, uh, and to to increase muscle mass. It's it's okay. just so it's such a generic comic book origin that doesn't make any sense, yeah, or bear explanation at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> that um, it just it sounded like a really nice. It was it's a it was a fun little touch. I appreciated that because literally my first thought when they opened the the door after the transformation, I was like, oh, and apparently like his bones grew longer because his, like... his pants got big. He's, <laughs> yeah, he, had a, yeah. he had the Incredible Hulk pants. And the first thing he says when he comes out, like uh, Peggy's like, how do you feel? And he's like, taller. And I was like, yep, clocked that too. We now have uh, a big bulked up Captain America. Hydra has sp- uh, again sent a spy to steal a vial of the serum and uh, assassinate Erskine, which he does. And this allows Rogers to test out the new bod. And um, so we get a little a little chase scene. The new bod works good. The new bod works good, except when he flails out of control and, and uh, goes flying through like a, a wedding dress window yeah but i i mean i actually really i really liked that moment when it's it funny just, i like know, it he has, yeah he has no idea how to use his his he, he doesn't understand the 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 actual space he takes up uh, yeah now um and i thought that i thought that was a fun a fun touch i agree moments like that and uh just a couple minutes later when when the uh spy takes the kid hostage and throws the kid in the water because his gun's out of bullets and Steve almost jumps in the water to help the kid. The kid's like, I can swim. Go get him. I yeah, that, that was good. I like laughed. I legitimately laughed out loud in that in that moment. I wish that this scene or I mean that this movie had more silliness like that. Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, they're not quips. They're just clever, circumstantial comedy. So, yeah, uh, Steve catches the guy, obviously. And the guy uh, eats a cyanide pill. But not before saying the running mantra of Hydra, uh, you know, you cut off one head and two more come back in Mm -hmm. its place. (laughs) 
back at Hydra HQ, we get a little meeting with some some Hitler cronies who explain to Schmidt that he's basically being cut off from the Third Reich because it, it seems that Hydra was established basically for R&D, and mm-hmm. they say something to the effect of you haven't produced so much as a rifle in over a year. So, yeah, it's, it seems like it's time that uh, they, they cut that one off. And also, Schmidt is just, you know, behaving rather roguishly taking mm-hmm. too too many taking too many orders into his own hands. Schmidt then reveals that he was really never planning on following Hitler to the to the end of this war and he kills the cronies after after they find a map in the sort of main office room that has Berlin as a target. Back in New York we learn that the the results of the serum on Steve Rogers uh, cannot be replicated, so he is a a one time deal. There cannot be any more Captain Americas. You know that since Erskine is now dead, um, Rogers doesn't really have a, a a cheerleader or a support system anymore, as far as the upper ranks of the army. So Phillips actually rejects Rogers. He says, mm-hmm. "You can't you can't serve with us. You can't be on the team." But a senator who was present at the transformation when they first introduced him uh in and he was just seeing him in profile i thought this guy was also going to be played by gary shandling for some reason (laughs) just to like create a through line of like just the kind of shit kind of shitty senators he's just the only he's the only shitty senator in the marvel universe is just a descendants of gary honestly i would love that i thought that was a would have been a fun me too they did it but but alas yeah. yeah this guy recruits recruits steve to basically to be a to to head a propaganda machine to be a performer in all sorts of patriotic propagandized theater acts and films and i have to say this montage is one of my favorite parts of the entire movie the yeah really? I, th- I think that it's i think that this is the moment where stylistically i was like this is what i wish this whole movie was like i wish that they took this little microcosm of silliness of i don't know there's just like this really this playful nature to it but it's still really well executed it's well shot it looks fun Mm -hmm. yeah i like the montages in this movie i think the montages are great i agree i i agree i i thought this scene i thought the the montage it was really in my for some reason i also think that this scene goes like this this montage goes on a little long it feels like it's like a solid five to six minutes of a yeah. montage and maybe it could have been three or four that's true the song is great like the the it's the song is great Written by uh alan um, Mickin and Dave. uh oh god what is his name dave zippel they're the disney mm-hmm. songwriting team it the the disney songwriting team was How- originally Mencken. Is it howard Ash? ashman has died at this point um okay. he so Got they it. were the original songwriting team howard ashman worked on uh, Little Mermaid and yeah, yeah. died during Aladdin and then uh, God what is his hold on I, I gotta find it yeah I, I definitely think don't it's... know who I only know Howard Ash Ashman Ash Ashman got it yeah which by the way um, Disney Plus has two excellent documentaries they might not interest you so much but for our listeners the one is on the Disney the 90s Disney Renaissance and the other one is specifically on Howard Ashman and um, it's just a really interesting uh, deep dive into that that period of time which is a fun, it's a crazy little microcosm of popular culture similar actually to this it's wild to imagine a time 
where like in that case, it's wild to imagine a time where Disney did not necessarily see a future for its animated mm-hmm. department. And just like here, it's like crazy to, to envision a time when Marvel didn't see necessarily a way forward for uh, its cinematic universe. You know, it's where the the possibility that it would fail was still on the table. Yeah. No, I, um, I actually... I definitely would w- probably watch the the at least the Ashman documentary. I, I mm-hmm. find pre the Disney the Disney the Disney Renaissance is interesting, but sort of I do I am interested in sort of the Disney history of animation before yeah. Disney becomes the juggernaut that it is. Yeah. Um, well, and Ashman also founded the WPA Theater in New York with, and Mencken was involved in mm-hmm. that. The, and like that's that was where um, Little Shop of Horrors was conceived. I mean, Howard Ashman created that show. And so there's oh, also, I did not know that. yeah, there's some, there's some cool like New York and just theater store backstory there. Yeah. I'm um, definitely going to, I'm definitely going to watch that. I, I, it's I, just I, called mean, Howard. I, love, I, I love little shop of horrors. Like, it's so I, good. It's so, so good. I'm, I really wanted to see the, um, the Jonathan Groff one that was, mm-hmm. uh, God fucking tickets were like $250 for this like little off Broadway. Like I was mm-hmm. just not going to pay that much money to go to an uncomfortable off Broadway theater. That's I get on, it. Like 11th Avenue. I get but it. But I really <laughs> want to see that, regardless of whether or not Jonathan Groff was in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Zippel is the guy, is the lyricist Thank name you. who took over for Howard Ashman. So he, you know, he did uh, The Lion King and Hercules and uh, uh, so on and so forth. Hey, how's it going? This is Trevor from Max and Trevor's Not So Distant Future and Your Not So Distant Past. I felt compelled to drop in on behalf of the esteemed Sir Tim Rice, who you may know as the lyricist to such mega hits as Jesus Christ Superstar, Chess, The Road to El Dorado, and of course, Disney's The Lion King. Surely Sir Tim would be quite cross with me if he knew that I tried to dole out credit for his wonderful work on this film to the likes of Dave Zippel. So I beg you, dear listener, to keep this a secret between you and me. And Sir Tim, if you happen to be listening, please forgive me. And Dave Zippel, if you happen to be listening, Hercules was always my favorite. Anyways, those those two wrote this song during this uh, during this montage to get us back on course. And the song is great. I mean, it's the like song, sort yeah. of in this Irving Berlin style, um, you know, patriot theater tunes. And um, yeah, I just think this whole moment is really well done and really fun. Um, so we see Steve Rogers become Captain America essentially through this montage as, you know, a celebrity. And um, he, he is a celebrity before he is a hero, which I also love. And I don't know if that's necessary. I, I don't know if the comics, if that has anything to do with the comic story. Uh, no, do, I think you they, speak on they, that? Pretty, they pretty promptly uh, put him, make him a superhero on the front lines yeah Mm -hmm. he promptly goes and punches hitler in the jaw sure i thought it would speaking of which i thought it was weird how sidelined the nazis were for being a world war ii movie yeah yeah it's barely pays lip service to the fact that the nazis exist um i agree bothered me a little bit it somehow makes a world war ii movie that's sort of robbed of any political yeah. I don't really like not even commentary, just 
just uh just acknowledge igno- it acknowledge least, exactly yeah. like um and what you know early, early on in the film i wasn't even sure i was like are, is hydra just gonna be the nazi like right. is, are they not even gonna mention the nazis at all and it's just gonna be hydra in this universe then there are no nazis it's it's just it's there's just so little a acknowledgement of the fact that the nazis exist i agree i i I, the first time i watched this i was a little bit sort of lost in i don't know an internet search or something during this conversation where the nazi cronies uh are like you're no longer part of the nazi party essentially so i sort of missed that like i knew that they belong to i knew that they were hitler messengers and what have you but i missed the conversation and therefore like scenes down the road i was just like what where are the not like what happened to the whole nazi thing so yeah it just it does leave a little bit to be desired there also but also i think the 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 movie drawing so like while while not acknowledging it drawing so many nazi parallels with hydra elites that goofy ass hydra that double fist hydra salute like we're just gonna one up one up the 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 heil hitler with just like with two two fists yeah it just looks like they're fucking stoked about something yeah like yeah hail hydra (laughs) yeah bro we love hydra couldn't agree more we love being faceless henchmen the uh the montage ends in italy where Rogers is making like a USO Bob Hope style performance mm-hmm. uh, overseas for the troops. Um, it turns out these troops are the survivors. Uh, it, basically, they were just surprise assaulted by Hydra. And a ton of them, I think it said like 200, 200 of them were involved in the battle and only 50 of them returned or something like that. And so he's he's playing to this this group of, of survivors from this battle who just lost a ton of their comrades. And uh, so he really bombs. And, you know... Yeah, I mean, it's it's the first time the movie acknowledges that war has consequences, and I think it's the first yeah. time... It's the only time they really challenge uh, Steve Rogers' like, gung-ho, I want to, you know, fighting for the greater good idealism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does it pretty well. You know, I, I do, think too. It's, I, think it's a good, I think it's a good touch. I think Steve... You know, I think, I think he reacts appropriately you know realizing you know he's already sort of annoyed that he's not fighting but now he's uh, they actually make force him to face he he is forced to face the the fact that people die in war and it's, yeah you know i feel like he he it seems like he hasn't really had to come to terms with that before yeah i i think that this i think this whole again i think that this whole passage between from the montage to basically where he starts fighting i think mm-hmm. is um is all great yeah, so he learns he learns about about the assault um, on on this division, Division One Hundred Seven, and Division One Hundred Seven happens to be Bucky's division. So when he learns this, he goes to Phillips. Phillips has been signing letters to all f- for all the families of the POWs or MIAs, and Rogers wants to see if Bucky is on the list. And I think I, if I remember correctly, Phillips. He refuses to actually substantiate whether or not Bucky was captured or killed, but says that he recognizes the name, so it's implied that he thinks Bucky was captured or killed. So Rogers suits up, and with the help of Carter and Howard Stark, they fly in behind enemy lines, and he drops down to the to infiltrate the Hydra facility. 
and he frees ton of POWs. He finds Bucky. I was unclear why Bucky was on like a test table, like a like a uh, like what were they doing to him? They're just torture. I think they were just torturing him because his, gotcha. his his response, you know, his response when Steve finds him is just uh, his his rank in his serial number, which is all you're supposed to give uh, if you're ever captured behind and tortured. You're only supposed to give your name, your rank, your serial number. And gotcha. so that's his sort of automatic response, which I think is to imply that he's both hasn't broken yet uh, under their torture, but also is he's he's traumatized that that's just his automatic response to any time uh, mm-hmm. he is spoken to uh, sort of as a def- as a torture defense mm-hmm. mechanism right oh and uh we we skimmed over but he does Captain america gets this cool shield uh right before oh he goes hell yeah scene, yeah yeah for sure which and, and I, a helmet yeah which he stole sure. from a chorus girl which i thought <laughs> was hilarious and i'm sure it's been uh quibbled to death about the the shield but yeah howard stark is like it it absorbs all vibrations and then the shield spends the rest of the movie bouncing off every surface <laughs> and also there's a, at least one point where the shield resonates, which like just right. cut the li- just cut just, the line mm-hmm. about it absorbing impact because right. So that's his next shield. He, that he right. doesn't have that one yet. I also have problems with. with oh, did the, he not uh, get? Th- I'm sorry. Did I jump ahead? This is yeah. So he still has the um, the one with like the 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 funny shaped shield. Yeah, which was point. his original shield in the com- he originally had right. a triangular shield in the comics. Right. I love this Captain America look. With like the motorcycle helmet Me too. and the dark sweater and the leather jacket, I think it fucking rocks. Yeah. He looks it looked, really. It's cool. a really, it's a really good look. Although I, I thought it was very silly for him to infiltrate behind enemy lines with a giant American flag painted shield on his back. Yeah, <laughs> not very well thought through. I guess he wasn't going for uh, subtlety. I mean, he's he's rescuing these Ameri- the American troops. Yeah, um, I mean, he, I don't know. He's got nothing but confidence. Just he's, he's like, yeah, I'm going with confidence. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck it. And uh, so he frees all the POWs, and they all get in. Uh, there's all sorts of mayhem in their escape, and all sorts of uh, fun fighting. We get a Red Skull reveal. We finally see Red Skull's face, and I think Red Skull looks awesome in this. It looks awesome, and that image right before the full reveal, where mm-hmm. it's just like the mask is sort of slipping around the eyes. Yeah, that's fucking horrifying. It's, it is. It's horrifying in like the best way. I think it. Um, he looks good. He, he looks, looks really good. Really good. And um, Hugo Weaving kills this performance. I think he's yeah. amazing. I have problems with Red Skull, generally speaking, in this. Like, does he have any powers? Like, what is his... He's got the same set of powers as Captain... You know, he's he's a super... He's super soldier. He's just got, like, the super right. soldier serum uh, I just feel like he's, well. given, he's given no opportunity to display that in this movie. There's totally. not really a boss fight. There's not really... He's just this evil head of hydra that's it yeah um, i mean i think uh, yeah this movie doesn't really have a its final sequence uh, is a little uh, underwhelming yeah i think it, the, basically uh, you know everything after the mon- propaganda montage is just 45 minutes of action and there's no real there's not a lot of highs and lows yeah but i thought you know uh i thought it was fine yeah it was, no it's good it's good but uh, again i mean i think the whole the whole arc of the red skull reveal is very yeah. cool even in the first scene when there's like a close-up of him like adjusting the skin on his jaw yeah in, in norway uh, when i first watched it i was like what the fuck's going on there that's strange and you know it's just yeah i think it's 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 intelligently woven in 
the next scene, uh, Rogers misses his ceremony where he's given a medal for valor for his performance in freeing all these POWs. Oh yeah, and that. I I guess it's it was just to give Stanley a cameo. Oh yeah. It was a nothing scene. It was yeah. It, that it was scene like, that scene didn't need that scene didn't need to do anything. Uh yeah, except Stanley's there, which is funny because Stanley had nothing to do with the conception of Captain America, but of course he's still got to be in the movie. Yeah. Moving on to London, where Phillips actually puts Cap in charge of the Hydra mission. Uh, Cap basically runs through on a on a map, points out all of this all of the places where he noticed Hydra encampments or setups or bases, mm-hmm. and Phillips, you know, says he's assembling a team for Cap, and Cap says he's already assembling his own which again he's like he's got the howling commandos yeah all these guys that i that i freed who so these I, these guys these guys are all like neil mcdonough I, his his character's name is they don't ever say it in the movie his character's name is dum dum dugan which is fucking he's fucking awesome it's so good and the big mustache and the bowler hat yeah like, all of those guys are from 60s era comic but World War II set comic called Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, mm. which was Nick Fury's original. Nick Fury's original comic appearance was as like oh. the squad leader in a war comic, and he didn't become like the espionage. Yeah, uh, Nick Fury until the seventies, but huh. uh, all of all of the guys uh, with Captain America in this are the Howling Commandos, which I I loved. You know, I thought that was a good a good touch. I think it's really cool. I just wish they would have had. Um, I mean, their introduction was cool, they, and you get to need, see them fight their way out of the Hydra but they, base. They needed a little more um, backstory, yeah, or, and, or individualization. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that Rogers was given not nearly enough information about them to know. Oh, these are the guys that I want fighting for me. You know, I, yeah, I, I think again that's just supposed to go back to like Steve's in here, like inherent decentness and like trust of his friends or what and like it's supposed to be like these are yeah. the guys i want with to be like we've been through so much together why would i want like like these are the guy these are my guys like, like did he even yeah. learn their names at the hydra base he like talked to they them never for two say, minutes i think and then... i think marita is the only guy whose name they ever really say yeah whatever yeah he recruits them over drinks Another Easter egg, the bartender at the tavern uh, in this scene is the small person body double for for uh, early movie Steve Rogers. He recruits the Howling Commandos and Cap and, and Asian Carter flirt a little bit. But then Natalie Dormer puts the moves on Cap, kisses him in a corner. That upsets uh, Carter a little bit. And Stark supplies Captain with his suit and shield. Here's where we get the the round shield, which the whole moment is really strangely manufactured where he shows Steve the whole table full of shields. It's like super heavily armored, like spike. They look like riot shields, like they yeah. look like top riot shields. Right. And then and then Steve's like, oh, what's this one that's stashed down here in the corner? And Howard Stark's like, oh, d- don't don't worry about that one. It's only the most precious metal in the entire universe. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's like it's not we, important. It's it's all of the metal we had. So we yeah. made it into a round shield. <laughs> and Rogers is like, well, I want this one. <laughs> of course. duh." And then uh, Carter literally shoots 
Captain America with a gun to test the shield because she is frustrated. Marjorie Tyrell made out with him. Yeah, Alana had to tell me who that was. I was I was like, that's she's someone. Yeah, I've seen her before. She's like, she's from Game of Thrones. Exactly. She's great. She is. I was happy to see her in this. All right, then we get another montage of Cap doing cool shit. I think the idea is that he's just taking down all of the Hydra bases Mm -hmm. that they that they can find, and I didn't. Again, I didn't mind this montage one bit. I thought it was pretty, uh, is pretty sweet. And in in place of a boss battle, you know, this is sort of what yeah. we get. You know, yeah. Then Cap and crew ambush a train uh, to kidnap Doctor Zola. Bucky falls to his presumed death, and that's all I have to say about that. What did that not? Did that not do it for you? No, I just have reason to believe that he's not dead. That's all. Oh, okay. That's all that I mean. Because, oh, okay. I thought, I mean, I did think it sort of happened very quickly. It happened very quickly. Yeah, yeah I, thought, I think sure. it. I, and I it, was, think it was it was foolish of Bucky to pick up the Captain America shield and try and, I don't know, be the hero. Captain America is obviously the hero here. Bucky. <laughs> I do like, I think that, I, I don't know that actor's name. I think he does a really good job, actually. Sebast- of, Sebastian Stan. Thank you. Of sort of internalizing this role reversal between he and mm-hmm. Steve Rogers. Like you can see it getting under his skin at multiple times through this movie that he's now no longer the cool one of the two, you know? Definitely. I mean, I think uh, Sebastian Stan, you, you were going to see a lot more of him. He, yeah. de- he to, in my, I think in my opinion, he is probably my, he's my favorite secondary Marvel guy. Mm-hmm. Like, He's just a really great. Like he he does a lot of brooding and seething for the yeah. all his other appearances. <laughs> he's he's just sort of sad and quiet, but sure. he's a good sad quiet guy. Like Yeah, I get that impression. Yeah. Dropping in with these incredibly episode appropriate dulcet tones to remind you to drop into imposter radio every once in a while. It couldn't be easier. So they get Zola, and then we get the interrogation between Phillips and Zola, which I enjoy quite a bit. I think it's the most that Tommy Lee Jones gives to this film, period, full stop. Also, I just love watching people eat steak on film. I don't know what it is about it. It is so satisfying to me. Do you have thoughts about people eating steak on film? No, (laughs) but I mean... uh... It looked good. I mean, yeah. I wanted steak, but no, I don't have specific thoughts about people eating steak on film. Okay, well, what is it about steak that does it for you? It's just the whole pick the the clinking of the knife on the plate, mm. the the steak going into a person's mouth. You can always just tell that it's satisfying. You can just like the look on a person's face eating a steak mm. is is just always. I guess it creates a feeling of of envy in me. Got it. 
So you um, just want a, you just want a steak. I just want a steak. Fair enough. Yeah, except the potatoes and the broccoli do not look very appetizing. No, they really didn't. There was like three potatoes and like, well, I mean, whatever. It was the 40s. Like, no one had to cook vegetables. Probably steamed them. Right. And then with the glass of milk. Uh, when was the last time you had a glass of milk with a steak? Never. That's so psychotic. <laughs> I something about a big glass of just white milk, just the just the white homogeny of it is so disconcerting to me. I used to do it all this the time is, when I was a like child, a, but I'm I'm with you now. Yeah, I'm sure I did. Too. I I'm sure I did too. Like. I definitely drank milk as a kid, but like I can't imagine just like sitting down to a nice big glass of milk. Like, like I I would say that like it's it's become such an odd thing that like that's serial killer shit. It's just like casually yeah. drinking milk. Like that man is not to I be trusted. Yeah, that man drinking that glass of milk no. checks out because I think Tommy Lee Jones is not to be trusted ever. Okay, uh, well. That man's a national treasure. So Zola says that Red Skull is after world domination, essentially. Next, we are in the ruins of a bar. I, has it? Is it like the result of a blitz bombing in London or something? Because I, I think we're so, still yeah. in London. Yeah. Cap can't get drunk, unfortunately, and he blames himself for Bucky's death. So he has a little a little brooding with Carter. Then we are somewhere in the woods. And we get a chase scene that is pretty reminiscent of uh, the Star Wars speeder bikes that is pretty cool. Cap is captured trying to infiltrate the Hydra main base, uh, but it turns out that that was by design. So there is um, a full-on assault uh, in the Hydra headquarters. Red Skull gets away in a plane. I get, I'm trying to remember. Cap gets into the plane. Is that right? I'm yeah, trying to so remember. he yeah. There's 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 a really weird cut in the middle of this seat. Yeah. See, but yeah, Cap runs from like one side of the the hangar. He like the Red Skull's getting in his plane, is getting away, and Cap runs. He's like on foot, like jumping over all these things. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, I remember there being this really weird cut, basically in the middle of him, like jumping off a tank or something. It just like does a hard cut, and he's just like sprinting again. Yeah. Which I thought was an it was an odd editing choice. Um, but then. Uh, no, to then Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Agent and uh, Agent Carter pull up in uh, the Red Skull's like Nazi hearse, and that's and right, that's the, right. The, it's it's a Cruella Deville car, is what it is. It is, uh, yeah. It's... And then yeah, and then like they hit the nitrous and catch up with the plane. Yeah, they share a little kiss before he boards the plane. So that now he's on the plane, and and there are. I guess they're nukes, but they're also like manned vehicles. I, I could really not parse confused. that out. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I assumed they were nukes, and then yeah, I couldn't figure out what what they were supposed to be. I my best guess was that they that the destructive power of the lasers that the Red Skull has is so great that like a one man fighter jet mm-hmm. can take down a whole city, or they're suicide bombs. I'm not. Yeah. I. I, I I that, couldn't I couldn't figure it out. That was sort of the conclusion that I came to, but who knows. In any case, they're big, uh, obviously uh nuclear comparable bombs and they yeah, are they are, they are easily marked, labeled. <laughs> they are marked with every major American city, so we know that this dude plans to cr- wreak some havoc. And uh Red Skull has set his course for New York. We saw him program it into the ship. Mm-hmm. It, a little fight scene ensues. Cap knocks the Tesseract out of its 
little home in the middle mm-hmm. of of the main um it, it, this is essentially this is essentially like a B2 bomber with a giant bay window in the front yeah. and they're fighting in the main room behind the bay window cap knocks the tesseract out of its case red skull picks it up and it I at first thought that it was killing him, like he mm-hmm. like he was like literally withering away. But it basically opens up uh it opens up some sort of passage like a, into the like cosmos. Yeah. It opens up a wormhole over uh Red Skull's head and essentially like sends him into like hyperspace um into the wormhole. So I we I couldn't really tell if it if it killed him or if it just sent him somewhere. Mm-hmm. But he's out of the picture in any case. And then the Tesseract drops to the floor. And the the heat, the pure energy of it burns through the floor and it drops down into the ocean. Cap takes the pilot seat and I, he he deduces somehow that the only... He can't land it, so he's he, got to yeah, crash it. He can't land it and he can't defuse the bombs and he can't whatever, so he's got to crash this thing into... He says he's going to crash it into the water. He ends up crashing it into uh, ice. I thought this moment was incredibly sad between he and and carter and actually really well done and uh earlier in the uh the movie i was sort of not on board with their relation their relationship knowing how important the relationship winds up being much later in the movies Mm -hmm. um which we'll you'll we'll get to yeah um but i was like this is it like this is this doesn't seem like it's based on much um Similar to Jane and Thor, yeah, uh, sort of. But uh, although I think I think, think Haley Atwell, sold, I think Haley Atwell sells it way better than Natalie Portman. Definitely, does, I think to be I think they sell it. Uh, I think they sell it much better. Yeah, um, than Natalie Portman and Chris Hemsworth did, and I I, I bought it. You know, I, I yeah. bought that there was there was uh, even if it was maybe just a trauma bond. It was very. It was definitely a real connection between the two of them. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on Chris Evans in this movie? By the way. Chris Evans is great. I mean, Chris mm. Evans does. I can't think of a better casting choice, except maybe like I think Ryan Reynolds is the only person I could think of to put into a role like this that is as sort of can do like chiseled yeah. nice guy all American. Right. Um, but Ryan Reynolds, I think, is much too cynical for this yeah. role. <clears throat> he's he's too smarmy. Yeah. 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 I think Chris. I think Chris Evans did great. Like I, um, I like him. I like him a lot. I think, I think he just does decent really well. And that's yeah. really, that's really, uh, the key to, I think I've said it a couple times now. I think it's really the key to Steve Rogers, character is just like his, his general human decency. Mm-hmm. And I think Chris Evans does, um, like does decent and good really well. Yeah. Yeah. Uncompromising, almost almost naive goodness yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i i think that his he his performance gets a little one note but i think the one note is is exactly the note that it needs to I think be captain so. america i think captain america is a little one note like yeah. i think i mean he captain america as a character is predates any of the other characters that we've we've watched now by a solid 20 25 years there was uh-huh. um you know there's a huge gap in superhero comics from the late 40s until the mid 60s um when marvel sort of brought superheroes back with jack kirby and stan lee um so were there no there were there was there no comic creation in that period of time or just no new characters there absolutely was comic creation but superheroes were not 
what sold well in the 50s it was a lot of like western a lot of western a lot of like space um a lot a lot of science so like the the superheroes that um were really inherently tied to the war um Mm -hmm. with captain america um the original Human Torch, Submariner, a lot of Marvel's like core characters from the '40s were really a huge part of their their characterization was that they were overseas fighting mm. the war mm-hmm. and like had a lot of like intera- interactions with like the Nazis, the Japanese. Um, so, do you think that that that's just a product of the the general patriotism of the time, or do you think that comics were sort of engineered as like a recruitment tool? I think it's uh, it has much more to do with the the uh, patriotism of the time. I okay. think comics weren't terribly well regarded right. until the eighties. You know, mm-hmm. they were they were cheap, they were disposable. Uh, there, you know, in the fifties, there was a real active fear mongering campaign against comics, led by this pop psychologist whose name is escaping me right now. But he wrote this tome called the seduction of the innocent which is basically how comics make you gay they make you a criminal like they make you stupid um wow comic so no i don't think comic comics were not a prop were not a recruitment tool definitely a propaganda tool yeah the war and was popular war was what sold so a lot of the superheroes were what was the question what am i talking about <laughs> uh, uh well i you you had mentioned this gap in the creation of superheroes oh so my my real my real yeah. point was that comics were cheap and not highly regarded so yeah. you didn't need to put a lot of thought into the creation of a character mm-hmm. um artists were artists and writers were getting paid by uh quantity and not quality I see. so you could just keep recycling really basic origins with really generic things like Vita rays that just like essentially meaningless science science jumble jargon. Yeah. And you didn't have to put a lot of thought into the character's backstory, which and there's been so much character building on Captain America that he's not mm-hmm. yeah, he has a lot more depth than original, but like at his basis, he is a very simple character. He's a yeah guy who believes in america and wants to punch a nazi yeah and he does it he does yeah. exactly that let's see what am i missing so yes yeah, so crashed into the arctic he crashes happens. into the arctic peggy's really sad about it we have a strange drone flyover shot of the plane crashed in the arctic which mm-hmm. is the most shockingly cg'd moment in this entire film i don't know if it stuck out to you i was like why it's like two seconds long. It doesn't actually serve the movie. Why do we need to see this? It looks like shit. I mean, if we want to talk about bad CG in this movie, all of the Hydra compound assault, which mm-hmm. mostly took, takes place on what are clearly catwalks in small studio spaces with yeah. these giant... The scale of the like factory infernos behind all these catwalks is so enormous that you can't make out any detail. Yeah. That that was the worst CG to me. This the plane actually didn't didn't really register too too much to me. I was I was there were a lot of ba- there was a lot of like background giant war machine factories um, yeah. in this that really stuck out a lot more of like that's just a screensaver behind me. That's just sort of like the explosions are just kind of roiling on a loop almost like and yeah, the plane didn't the plane didn't register to me too much. I agree. There's an interesting video in the extras section of this movie on Disney Plus that shows it's just like three a three minute montage sequence of 
of a bunch of the heavily CG'd scenes from this movie. Mm -hmm. And then it will like stop a still frame on that scene and then basically layer by layer build the whole composite of how all all of the CG works in that Mm -hmm. scene, which is it's an interesting move because like you're saying, there's a lot of CG in this in this movie that glaringly does not work. And so it seems like it's weird that they double down on it in that way. But in any case, Stark finds the Tesseract in the ocean and we get a final 1940s shot of some kids playing in the street with a trash can lid that's got the America Shield, Captain America Shield painted on it. I guess just to drive home the fact that he is a national treasure and he lives yeah. on, even though he has now disappeared from this timeline. Yeah, I remember thinking that scene. That scene was cute, but a little, a little, a little bit of a random place to to stop. It. It. I mean. I like I like it. It's it's a little bit heavy handed, I think, yeah. but yeah, it's a little. It's got this energy of like you get it. Like, do you he do made, you understand he his paid impact? The ultimate price. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Flash forward, although we don't necessarily know it yet. Captain America wakes up. He is in what looks like a 1940s hospital room. There is a ball game playing on the radio, and. He's a little bit dazed and confused. A nurse comes in, says, you know, I'm so glad you're awake. Something, can I, can I get you anything? Or something like that, something innocuous. And he says, where am I? She says, you're in a, you're in a recovery room in New York, I think. And mm-hmm. he says, where am I really? And she says, I don't understand. And he says, this game was from yada yada 1941. I was at that game. Where am I? And it just, uh, this scene is so cool. I like this ending so much. This is where I sort of threw my hands in the air and was like, I don't understand if I like this movie or not. That scene fucking rocked. Anyways, he's in modern day New York City. He busts out of this, this like set piece hospital room. Mm-hmm. He's in this giant super sleek, super new age, modern facility. Um, Everybody's in tuxes and suits and he runs outside into a modern day Times Square. Nick Fury is there. He's like, hey, sorry you had to learn like this. We wanted to uh, we wanted to present this information to you a little more sort of piecemeal to make it a little more digestible. And I get I think that's the movie. I can't remember exactly what the button is, but uh, the post the postcard scene is just uh... an Avengers trailer. Yeah, it's so uh, yeah. weird. I don't that that annoyed me for some reason. Yeah. Um I wanted like an actual an actual post credits, but we just get a, a teaser. Do you remember uh like a year ago the Are you on Twitter at all? You're yeah, not on Twitter that yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. The Captain America predicted coronavirus conspiracy? <laughs> no. I There's don't. some like weird angle that looks like there is a coronavirus like the like ball with the with the the little Yeah. Cilia coming off of it that the, the, the virus that looks like the yeah, coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a thing that looks like it's ha- uh, th- there's the coronavirus uh, the microscopic coronavirus behind Captain America in Times Square yeah. on a billboard, and someone like reverse engineer engineered that image, and it's like a Berea pasta uh, ad for Valentine's Day or something. It's like a spaghetti covered. Or it's like a heart covered spaghetti or something. 
I don't know. That was that was a, a fun thing that Alana reminded me of when we were watching it. Yeah, that sounds like it was something that would definitely have been worth my time to investigate. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I think this ending is so cool. I don't know why it got me so fired up. And also it's sort of contrary to our arguments that we've made in previous movies where like this isn't necessarily an ending. It's just a passage into the next film. But for me, this one r- yeah. really nailed it. Yeah. Um, what do you think? The, the ending, the ending, it's great. I think yeah. the ending really, it excites me for what's to come without being too much, like, yeah, without being too much, like you said, just sort of a, a well, we're done here for now. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it's very set up for a, for a sequel, but it is, it does keep the movie uh, as a self-contained whole very well and yeah. uh, better than, I think, the previous the previous episodes essentially yeah oh and the movie overall i really liked um yeah. i think sort of it, i think it takes itself less seriously than some of the other movies um yeah it just doesn't go far enough for me i think you're right but like like there are these moments like the the patriotism montage the you mm-hmm. know the creation of captain america montage where i'm like this style is so fun and this this sort of energy is great and can we just sort of spread that through the entire movie rather than having this great silly energy and then going back to insisting that we're a serious action movie you know mm-hmm. it's like i feel like there's this baseline of of such insistence on on being an action movie and being a story movie you know so i just wish they would have committed to that style mm-hmm. and that that energy but you, but they did enough for you. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I was going to say about the ending is it, we essentially have the same, the same principle as we ended Thor with, right? It's like we've established a love connection, and then that connection has been severed mm-hmm. indefinitely. And in Thor, I felt absolutely nothing about it. And in this one, I was legitimately upset by it. So. Yeah. Again, speaks to the uh, the chemistry between those two actors in, in, in this particular story that I think that was uh, done pretty well. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, um, yeah, I think that um, I didn't dislike this movie any more than, I've, than, than previous ones. I liked this movie, but I think it was just, it was just all of the conflicting emotions as a viewer sort of uh, reaching a boiling point for me. But uh, my 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 general reaction good movie yeah it's not gonna get better from here on out it's gonna right. get it's gonna get dumber it's gonna get well good thing i got more, a head shrink more swinging for the fence fe- for the fences it's yeah. gonna yeah it's gonna get a lot broader well you'll get to Cap- hold my captain hand America through that journey movie. yeah no i will the captain america movies do however I think are sort of the brighter spots mm-hmm. of the uh, rest of the cinematic universe, if I recall. Um, and I think Winter Sol- when we get to Winter Soldier, the direct sequel to this movie, yeah, that was a really a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you know uh, if that's first... also uh, Joe Johnston, the director? I do not know that. Okay, I don't know that off the top of my head. Let me see. Nope, it's the Russo brothers. Oh, that's the Russo brothers. Yeah. Okay, and they become sort of the mainstay after this, right? I mean, they didn't do all of the subsequent films, but they did the main Avenger arc. Yeah, they did. They do. They did that. They did civil war. I think they do all, all like the, the Avenger, the, the big, the big tent pole 
mm-hmm. uh, movies in after the Avengers. Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's hard to call any of these movies not not temple blockbusters. But yeah, I think the Russo brothers handle a lot of the the heavy story lifting for these movies. Cool. That's Captain America. Uh, you got any any closing thoughts on that? I don't think I have anything that I haven't said already. Um, yeah. You know, I bracing myself for Avengers. I remember the Avengers movie being kind of a letdown for mm-hmm. uh, a myriad of reasons, but I'm going into it with an open mind again. I haven't seen it in at least five years, definitely more. I think it's it's possible I saw it after it was in theaters, but uh, I don't. I, I when did it come out? Paying. 2012. Summer okay. 2012. Yeah. All right. Oh, now we're starting. Now we're starting to talk big money, though. I'm like looking at yeah. Captain America: Winter Soldier, 715 million box office. Um, Avengers has got to be up there, right? I don't know. Avengers. We'll get there. Cool. Captain America: The First Avenger. Thanks for the memories. Uh, let's do a little pop culture palate cleanser to close right. close us out. What do you? What's going on over there? Well. As promised, I finished the stand. Woo! Let's get into it. No oh, conflicting God. emotions here. Oh, man. It's, that shit sucked. It sucked so bad, man. <laughs> that that last episode with ah! Franny in the well, what the fuck was that? Oh, yeah. That, that, whole, that whole chapter of the story, I'm like, why does this exist? Why is why, this here? There's no reason... This Just like second make... coming of Mother Abigail as a small child yeah. or something. Like, None of that was in the book, right? No, no. the The book ends with them uh, going to Maine, with them getting in the car to go to Maine. Yeah. Um, spoiler warning. By no. the way. Yeah. Spoiler for a book that came out in 1979. <laughs> um, no, it. I think they could attack an extra 20 minutes on to on to the end of episode eight, and mm-hmm. and been done with it. And and yeah, had a nice little a nice little ending gotten gotten Stu and Tom back to to Boulder. I hated Randall Flagg's demise. Yeah, no, that was stupid. The everything. weird little lightning bolt in the center of the uh, yeah, it, it's, everything was was bad and I the yeah, that the the second to last episode was also bad in its own yeah. in its own way. That's like, when I texted you, I think, was when yeah. I was watching that episode and I was like this is the worst this is the worst decision I've ever made to finish yeah. this show. Just like tr- <laughs> just trash can man being so tragically underwritten as, oh to, my be God. Meaning, as to be totally meaningless like totally meaningless. It was bad. It's so that is not my pop culture pick, but I did finish it. Yeah, so um, uh, the, 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 this is the official um, unendorsement of The Stand by Max and Trevor. Yeah. This we agree on. All right, so what is your pop culture okay. corner? I had, I had some stuff, and now it's all left my brain. Oh, um, no. No, I'm listening listening to uh, last last Friday was Bandcamp Friday, and I picked up a lot of good, uh, a lot of new good stuff. I'm mm-hmm. listening to this been listening to this new weird uh, ambient album by this guy, uh, this Brooklyn artist named Steel Tip Dove. Uh, it's called Inside Outside, Inside Outside. It's just these, it's four 20-minute, uh, like, ambient suites. Um, it's very good. Cool. It's very, I've been just sort of having it, had it on the back, on the, it's really good sort of background, chill-out music. It's got a lot, sort of a, a lot of found sounds and also just, like, traditional composed music within it. Um, what's the What's the name of that album? The album's called Inside Outside Inside Outside. Oh, okay, so and the, that the artist is Steel Tip Dove. Yeah, yeah. So that one it looks like is a, that album is exclusively on Bandcamp at the moment. 
not on streaming, which is good. Spend Most, your money on Bandcamp. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I got the cassette. Hell yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sick. Uh, yeah. Because it was not that much more expensive than just buying the digital. Mm-hmm. And uh, not, a, not a new recommendation, but we're in the middle of watching Lord of the Rings, and uh, those movies are good. Yeah. Those, that's my hot take, is those movies are still very good and really still hold up. Has your has your favorite changed in this rewatch? Um, we haven't we haven't we're gonna watch Return of the King sometime in the next couple of days. Okay, um, Helm's Deep. I just I remember th- being s- just such a greatest I hits of of that series. Two Towers has been my favorite. I think has been my favorite, and mm-hmm. I don't see that changing. Right. But um, they don't have the extended editions on streaming. They only have HBO ha- really? has the ex- has the extended. Return of the King that I think we're gonna watch, but we have we'll just watch the regulars. Got it. Seems fine. Seems seems like enough. Yeah, it's 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 still a lot of content. But yeah, that's what I got. Steel Tip Dove and The Lord of the Rings. Uh, do you have thoughts on the Hobbit trilogy? Never watched it. Oh, watched. Okay. I think I watched the first half of the first one. The first one is fine. Yeah, the first I I remember it being fine. The, the next two are not. Yeah, and that's all I'll say. Plan about on, that. but you know, uh, th- those are all on streaming too. I might. Yeah. Might maybe I'll watch all those yeah i mean i i guess it's there i guess you should watch them at some point in your life but um all right that's what you got yeah what do you got going on i started watching the mandalorian okay I felt like i owed it to our our buddy john favs how big, of a, how big of a star wars guy are you i've seen all the star wars i'm a fan of star wars i'm not um it's not something that i could like nerd out extensively about sure. i'm not a super so me- fan Medium Star Wars. Medium Star Wars, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm so I'm two, I'm two episodes into The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and I am quite enjoying it actually. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a lot of fun. I think the second season is as good, if not better. Cool. So stick with it. Yeah, will do. You know, CBS All Access just made the switch over to Paramount Plus, and I had a CBS All Access account just to watch the stand. And so I've I was perusing Paramount Plus last night and um I revisited The Adventures of Tintin, which is such a fabulous movie. Have you seen is it? Is it okay? Yeah, I, I, I love that movie. I saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um I saw it three times in 3D IMAX Jesus. because I was obsessed with it. Oh that re- I wanted to talk about I wanted to talk about the Hydra. Sorry, back to just briefly yeah. taking it back to Captain America. Yeah, because I want to talk about this too. There, during the assault on Hydra, there is a very clear three, like maybe three minutes of 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 action that is so obviously just for three D. Yeah, it's so many, so much like shields getting tossed to the screen, and like right, so much just like straightforward filling filling the fourth wall it was it was hard it was hard to not to not notice that yeah i mean this was this was i I think tintin's the same year actually this is sort of the period of time in which all of hollywood is going through this obsession with with 3d you know there was like post avatar post avatar for about three years ish Mm -hmm. Everybody was, if not filming in 3D, because it apparently was a pain in the ass to film in 3D. They were like post-converting, yep. and so it just like you, you suddenly we were inundated with three-dimensional f- films, and and it was it's also a cash cow because they could charge like eighteen dollars mm-hmm. for a ticket, and it it 
it, they it sort of reached a critical mass and i think the bubble popped sometime between it must have been sometime around 2012 i think the the 3d bubble just sort of i mean they died. were still releasing movies in 3d through 20 i mean i saw the last star wars movie in 3d mm-hmm. because that's sort of when we could all get tickets to go together uh on like my family you know my family see my family will see a movie on christmas that was sort of the the showing that was available at a yeah. time that worked for all of us so like they're still putting movies out in 3d but uh i don't know for whom yeah other than and, and it's obvious that they're not putting a lot of resources into the advancement of the technology anymore definitely, definitely. um like well you know maybe uh the, the seven Avatar sequels that um, <laughs> James Cameron's making will will bring it back to the forefront. Yeah, if those movies ever come out. How long is it? What's Avatar 2009? Yeah, it's been more than a decade. Jesus. Uh, but I, I, if you ask me, Tintin is the... I mean, it's it's it was weird watching it on a small 2D screen because so much of that movie is so obviously engineered for the sole purpose of being three-dimensional mm-hmm. and in IMAX and it ruled. I love it. I agree. I've been, I, I think about that movie probably every six months and I'm like, I should revisit that movie. You should. It, it definitely holds up. The action sequences are just not to be believed. They are awesome. so fun and so unreal. Um, yeah. Is, is that, is that a CGI movie or is that? It's mocap. Okay, um, yeah. And that was the other sort of that was the other big, big draw for it was that I mean, it was like, you know, Steven Spielberg was drawn into it because of the act, the the capabilities of like doing a mocap action film, like the, the things that he could do with the camera, you know, Did and like Spielberg, Spielberg directed Tintin. Yeah. Yeah. And Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson was a, an exec producer on it. And um, Andy Serkis is one of the principals. Yeah, he's Captain Haddock. And he is amazing. And yeah, uh, check it out. Um, Revisit it. Um, Let's see. I'm I'm playing God of War. Are you much of a console gamer? Um, no, not really. But I did. I played the first two God of Wars on PlayStation Two. That was sort of the last. That was the last console that i owned was a playstation 2 i love those games are though was has god of war always been a based in in norse mythology or is it basically it was greek it was okay greek originally it was very it was pretty well uh researched greek mythology which i appreciated yeah and this one is is norse and so it was on one hand it was cool to be playing god of war reading neil gaiman's norse mythology and covering Thor on this podcast. So, yeah. you know, I had a, a little bit of immersion in the universe, which was cool. And I mean, the art direction in that game is mm-hmm. absolutely insane. Um, it's it's so fun. And uh, yeah, and I just finished a book about Radiohead's Kid A album called This Isn't Happening that I, all right. that I are you a radio, Radiohead fan at all? Um, I've listened to Radiohead. Sure. I, you know, I... They're 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 good. They're not like it's certainly good music. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's not it's not like. But you don't it think that hit, it doesn't hit me in the way that um, it hits me. Yeah. <laughs> if I Understood. want if I want a sad a sad British guy to trill at me, I'm gonna go Damon Albarn every time. Okay, that's interesting. 
That's my that's my hot take is that I like Damon Damon Albarn and mostly in the gorillas format over Tom York. Right. What so what's your what's your Damon Albarn side project of choice? I feel like I only know Blur and Gorillas. I don't know, man. I listen I I just the amount of music that I listen to that is not just weird obscure hip hop is is not is not broad enough for me to always have these conversations though i wish it was rough drafts friday night 6 p.m rough drafts friday night 6 p.m <laughs> in radio.net yeah okay well that's all i've got how about you i think i think i'm good cool I'm looking 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 forward to the avengers i'll bite albeit with uh some reservations how do you feel about it i look forward to it i i, I honestly uh i look forward to this franchise flying off the rail because i don't know i feel like i've i've um i don't i don't even think it flies off the rails i just think it i just i just think it it becomes a perpetual a perpetual motion machine that just okay. it does it does the thing that it's supposed to do mm-hmm. with uh it it i i think it's house it's the house style is gonna calcify pretty quickly over the next couple movies well i yeah i mean i think this was this this session was was important for me i got my feelings out on the table i feel like moving forward i will have more of a clear head and an open mind about what we're getting into fingers crossed (laughs) uh thanks for tuning in everybody this is marvel talk and uh we're gonna we're gonna put a pretty little bow on top of phase one next week with Avengers. So we'll see you then later. Bye. This has been an imposter radio network production. Your co-hosts are Max and Trevor. Music is composed and edited by Trevor Icorn with special shout outs today to John Stafford Smith and Sir Elton John. Follow imposter radio on Twitter and Instagram at imposter underscore radio to keep up with the haps. And as always, don't forget to like, rate, review, subscribe, follow us wherever you get your pods. Thanks as always. 